Hello to you and welcome to Coin Market Recap. I'm Connor Sefton with your easy to understand look at this week's crypto news. And coming up, it's been another disappointing week for Bitcoin. We'll be finding out why. Coin Market Caps Molly Jane Zuckerman is here with a look at this week's crypto news, including El Salvador's plans to build Bitcoin City, the latest twists in the Constitution Dow drama and some sad news about Mr. Gox, the crypto trading hamster. We'll also be joined by Isaiah Jackson, the author of Bitcoin and Black America. He explains how cryptocurrencies are offering a powerful alternative after decades of racial bias in the banking industry. But first, time for a look at how the crypto market is performing. Brace yourselves. Drumroll, please. Bitcoin is flat. That's right. Bitcoin is flat. Considering it's meant to be one of the world's most volatile assets, Bitcoin has been pretty sluggish in recent days. The world's biggest cryptocurrency had a bad start to the week after failing to break through the all-important $60,000 zone. It fell to $56,000 and struggled to rise above $58,000 for most of the week. That's been linked to the strong performance of the US dollar index, which has surged to its highest level in 2021. There are also concerns that the Federal Reserve could slow down its money printing program and raise interest rates much faster than expected, potentially making Bitcoin less attractive. Thursday gave investors a glimmer of hope as Bitcoin managed to approach $60,000. But bulls still face a challenge as they aim to surpass the all-time high of $69,000 set earlier this month. The monthly close in a couple of days is going to be crucial, and it looks increasingly unlikely that Bitcoin will manage to beat the record high of $61,000 seen at the end of October. And the creator of the stock-to-flow model, a popular method for predicting Bitcoin's future price, has finally admitted that the world's biggest cryptocurrency will probably fail to reach $98,000 in November. Nonetheless, Plan B says Bitcoin is well on the way to breaking $100,000 in the current cycle. India is planning to ban all private cryptocurrencies, sparking fears of a return to strict regulations. It's the latest twist in a long-running saga that's created uncertainty for crypto businesses and investors. Data suggests that as many as 20 million people in India currently own digital assets. Right now, there's some confusion as to what a private cryptocurrency actually is. We don't know whether this applies to major assets like Bitcoin and Ether or coins like Monero, which offer tools to give users greater levels of anonymity. Crypto prices on Indian exchanges fell sharply in response to the news, and some of the government's critics are worried this could damage a growing part of the economy. It's been a busy week in the metaverse. Nike and Adidas have both created their own virtual worlds, complete with games, avatars and digital clothes. And in other news, Adidas has also announced that it's entered into a partnership with Coinbase, but we don't know exactly why. It's probably going to be one of three things. Adidas might be taking part in Coinbase's new NFT marketplace. The sportswear brand might have started investing in Bitcoin, 
or it might be about to start accepting crypto as a payment method. Meanwhile, a report released by Grayscale Research this week says the metaverse could one day deliver annual revenues of $1 trillion. NFT has been crowned the word of the year for 2021. Collins Dictionary says there's been an explosion in mentions of non-fungible tokens over the past year. And they said its technical collision of art, technology and commerce has broken through the COVID noise with dramatic effect. Crypto and metaverse also appear in the dictionary's top 10 words of the year. And if you're curious, the dictionary definition of an NFT is a unique digital certificate registered in a blockchain that's used to record ownership of an asset such as an artwork or a collectible. Bitcoiners were annoyed by something unexpected this week, Dollar Tree. The American store has kept its prices at $1 for 35 years, but has now announced that most of its products will cost $1.25. Influencers on crypto Twitter described Dollar Tree's move as solid evidence that inflation is spiralling out of control. They argue that the dollar's diminishing spending power makes Bitcoin a far superior store of value. A British regulator has declared that cryptocurrency adverts are a red alert issue. The Advertising Standards Authority has released a tougher set of rules that crypto businesses need to follow. The watchdog claims some crypto ads trivialise investing potentially life-changing sums of money, while others take advantage of inexperienced customers by creating a false sense of urgency. As we told you last week, some politicians in London want crypto ads to be banned. But Floki Inu, whose ads are currently being investigated, has told CoinMarketCap that this is a clear attempt at censorship. And in other meme coin news, Shiba Inu's official Twitter account has warned investors about a scam that's doing the rounds on social media. Fraudsters are impersonating official accounts and creating fake users, and they attempt to entice victims by claiming that a big giveaway is taking place. Shiba investors are being urged to stay alert and never share their wallet keys or passwords with others. The meme coin's value has fallen sharply in November, and it's down 50 55% from the all-time highs set last month. This week's crypto headlines. Molly Jane Zuckerman is here for a look at this week's crypto news. Hello, Molly Jane. Hello, Connor. Merry happy Thanksgiving. How do you what's the what's the greeting that I'm meant to give? Happy Thanksgiving. Definitely happy not Thanksgiving. Merry Thanksgiving. <laughs> Mer- <laughs> well, it, de- it depends yeah. on how many sherbets you have. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> what did you do? Oh, yeah. So I flew to New York mm-hmm. because, as lame as it may sound, I'm a huge fan of the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. Ah, okay. And I flew halfway across the world, not to see my parents, although that was a nice bonus, but to see the giant turkey go down the go down Fifth Avenue. That's why I'm here. We should have talked about the fact that Macy's are launching some NFTs to go along with their Thanksgiving Parade, shouldn't we? They are. And, you know, I, I saw that and I thought maybe this will be my first NFT purchase. But ah. they look a little expensive. They look expensive. Oh. And then there are some free ones that are confusing. I don't know. So tweet at me, someone, if you know how I can get them. But you only have till the end of the week. 
Mm. The NFTs are always so expensive. Yeah. So I read an article this week about some of the other big stores and conglomerates in America have done NFTs. Mm. And there was a Pizza Hut one called the Bite Pizza. And they sold it for something like 18 cents because that's what they estimated a bite of pizza would cost. Uh, Yeah. It was spelled bite pizza, B-Y-T-E, like computer slang. Ah, Anyway, now now it's selling for like tens of thousands of dollars. What? Uh, Yeah, I know, I know. The one thing I will say in reading this piece that was in Decrypt, so thanks to Decrypt for this, is that when these companies are doing these NFTs, they are having something written into the rules of selling them is that every time it's resold, a certain percentage of the profits will go to a charity. So the oh, Macy's Day nice. Parade one, I think, are going to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. That's, that's really nice. I, I'm worried about the psychology of thinking of pizza in terms of the cost per bite. Because like, if you, if, you, if you get pizza and you're like, right, okay, it's going to be 10 bucks. That's one thing. But if it was like every time you take a bite, you have to pay 20 cents. I think that could be really good for moderating people's consumption. I think that would make you think twice. If you paid literally per bite. I mean, I just had a New York <laughs> slice and I was pretty hungry when I had it. And I ate, the, I, I ate it in about four bites. So that's cheaper for me then, right? Because I was no, starving no, be my more expensive. like a maniac. Each bite would be more expensive. Oh. You've got to you've got to take All smaller right. bites to reduce the cost. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing as well, actually. Also, I've got strong pizza views. I'm very sorry, but I hate the idea of selling pizza by the slice. I want to buy a whole pizza, not a slice. Thanks. I was walking down the street. I was feeling a little peckish. <laughs> Bought a slice. Okay. I wasn't going to buy a pizza and eat it on the street. That's insane. <laughs> well, you know, it comes in a well, box. Here's a qu- Here's a question for you. Uh-huh. Do you fold your pizza or do you just eat it kind of flat and floppy? Uh, <laughs> um, I have my pizza flat and floppy, but uh, this is <laughs> this is going to divide some people. But if I am in a restaurant, I may use a knife and fork for my pizza. This podcast is over. <laughs> right. OK. One more question, though. Seriously. What are your views <laughs> on pineapple on pizza? Oh, it's my go-to topping. It's your go-to topping? Are you serious? Yeah, I, it's my go-to topping. Yeah. That is that is demented. That is awful. Pineapple pineapple and hot sauce. Oh, oh gosh, that's disgusting. <laughs> that is awful. <laughs> that's so good. You've taken so something good. that's really bad and you've just made it worse. I don't know how you managed to do that. <laughs> it's fruit. Yeah, but you know how when you're on the beach sometimes you can buy those bags of fruit, either mango or watermelon, and you put the lemon juice and the tamarind spicy sauce on top of it? That's a very popular... I've never heard of that in my life. Well, it's Mexican. It's very popular, and it's the same It's the same uh, principle. The only thing you can get on beaches here are rock, which is like a very sweet thing that's like rock hard. Um you can get fish and chips or you can get pneumonia. Those are like your three options. <laughs> um, there's no there's no watermelon with hot sauce in the UK. Okay, well, I'll someday I don't I don't know how I'm gonna let you try this. I'm not really sure where you could get it, but <laughs> someday you'll try it in, in some tropical location. And I think you'll find that I'm speaking a lot of sense. All right, well, I'll I'll 
I'll have to see for myself. I did once have a dessert, though, which was pineapple, and it had black pepper on it. And that was quite good. Pineapple and cinnamon go together as well. We're on the same page here. We're not, because pineapple and pizza is a crime. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess we should talk about the news now. We've gone off this massive tangent. Um, El Salvador planning to build the world's first Bitcoin city, Molly Jane. So this is insane. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. I'm afraid of making another comparison and getting attacked about it on Twitter. But (laughs) I did love the photos of the president when he announced this, wearing sort of all white backwards baseball cap (laughs) on a stage with a microphone. And the very first thing I thought was, this kind of looks like those Firefest promoters. <laughs> oh my god! You know? Yeah, yeah, it does. And that did end with you know disaster zone ham sandwiches for five thousand dollars trapped on an island for days. Oh. I don't think that's what this is. I think this is going to be a volcanic city funded by cryptocurrency, <laughs> no taxes. <laughs> you know what? When my life is like when I'm really stressed and I'm really worried about that I've done something wrong and stuff. I literally watched that documentary of the fire festival on Netflix just to calm myself down that things aren't that bad. <laughs> oh, that and you know remember how two warring documentaries came out within a week of each other. There's another one. If there's another one I need to see it. I can't get enough of the fire festival story. I love it. Oh, it's it's my favorite story. So a documentary came out about Firefest disaster and then a second doc- documentary came out and I won't curse on this podcast, but I will say F. Jerry, which is the name of the promoter for Much of Firefest. His production company made the second documentary, making mm. them look really good, even though oh, they had been course. paid, you know, millions of dollars to promote it. So one's on Hulu, one's on Netflix. You have to watch them both to get a holistic view of what really right. went on. <laughs> but sometimes I go on, <laughs> I go on my Instagram <laughs> and I see this. <laughs> I see this girl pop up and I wonder, why am I following her? You know, we have no mutual friends. She's a model, but she's not a famous model. And then I realize, oh, she's the girlfriend of that Firefest guy. And I got so into it that I found her <laughs> on Instagram and started following her. Of course she's a <laughs> Years model. later. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, the blonde girl. She's in the movie. Naive Bekele was announcing the Bitcoin City getting back to the topic, at the country's Bitcoin Mm -hmm. conference. It was the final day and there was a very raucous atmosphere. The crowds were jubilant. Um, There were all sorts of like celebratory. I think there were fireworks when he came onto the stage. It was a really big entrance for Naib Bekele. And we've actually got a clip of him announcing the Bitcoin city. So let's take a listen. And it's going to include everything. Residential areas, commercial areas, services museums, entertainment, bars, restaurants, airport, port, rail, everything devoted to Bitcoin. So there you have it, Molly Jane. Airport, port, rail, museums, bars, everything devoted to Bitcoin. That sounds fantastic. Hmm. It sounds, well, I'm I'm a little skeptical. And the reason is because there was going to be that crypto city 
that mm. Akon was building. <gasps> I was literally going to really got that. off the ground. Yeah, Akon City in Senegal, in, inspired by Wakanda, and it was going to have its own cryptocurrency called Acoin. And we actually spoke to a journalist who actually visited the site on this podcast a few weeks ago, and um, he said that literally nothing has happened to get it off the ground. This does feel different, though, because Bitcoin City in El Salvador... They're going to be launching a range of Bitcoin bonds. Initially, they're going to be raising $1 billion. Half of this money is going to be devoted to buying Bitcoin. And hopefully the idea is that Bitcoin's value will rise in the next five years or so. And then the other half is going to be devoted to getting uh, investment in Bitcoin mining and infrastructure in the country. So that's the plan. Well, the things it has going for it are the fact that El Salvador did manage to pass that law making Bitcoin legal tender. Yeah. So there's clearly government support for this whole Bitcoin thing <laughs> over there. Yeah, I don't know how much that means, though, because if you believe some things you read, Naib Bekele pretty much gets his own way on things. So, you know, is it the case that his government basically do what they tell him to do? Are you implying that if if and when he eventually leaves office, the Bitcoin plans would be shelved? No. What I'm saying is, if Naib Bekele wants to do something, does he really have an opposition that stops him from doing something? I see. I see. Well, so far it seems like no. <laughs> yeah. So maybe the, sky, <laughs> the sky's the limit in terms of El Salvador's Bitcoin stuff. I do think that it's been reported as being next to a volcano. I'm assuming that they're going to be using that geothermal energy for Bitcoin mining. That Am I right? is correct. Yes. So it's going to be based in the area called La Union. And it's going to be powered, like you say, by geothermal energy from nearby volcanoes. But one of the interesting bits about this announcement is, firstly, the city is going to be circular, like the shape of a Bitcoin, if you get what I'm saying. Um, and also, there's going to be no income tax and no capital gains tax in the city. The only tax that they will have is a sales tax, value-added tax, and it will be set at 10%. And the funds that are derived from this VAT are going to be used to fund the city's construction and help to make sure that all the streets are very nice and clean. Hold on. Why? Okay. I mean, I guess we know a Bitcoin's round because that's how it is drawn. <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. But... <laughs> but it's not really round. It's it's just a line of code. So the city should really be more shaped like a, a zeros and ones. <laughs> that would be a nightmare <laughs> to get around. <laughs> uh, well, well, mind you, it'd be easy to tell whether you're on the zero or on the one. I guess <laughs> it'd be really easy. Now I'm just I'm just laughing about about the way that this one news article worded it, which is that. It'll be constructed near a volcano that will be funded by Bitcoin. It's like, how can you fund a volcano with Bitcoin? Am I right? <laughs> also, just seriously, though, has anybody checked that this volcano is dormant? Oh, that was going to be my next question. That was going to be my <laughs> next question. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that would be even more than fire. Fire festival, that'd be lava. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> lava festival. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right well someone needs to check on that because uh yeah that's uh that's potentially quite dangerous <laughs> ah, 
Well, yes. So we'll have to wait and see. The construction of this city is apparently going to begin next year. And we'll see whether or not they end up doing more than Acon City did. <laughs> I'm, I mean, here's hoping. I, if, if things are going the way they are in the world, I wouldn't mind living in a Bitcoin city for a bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I like I like London. You know, it's good. People are grumpy, but it's good. <laughs> Great fish and chips. <laughs> yes. And pneumonia. The pneumonia is lovely this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's move on then. And we've got a lot to unpack with this story. We did talk about it last week. And it's Constitution Dow. Now, there's several elements to this story. But first, Molly Jane, I think we should focus on who actually ended up winning the auction. We know it wasn't Constitution Dow. They confirmed that they'd lost. But the person who did win is a guy called Ken Griffin. Now, this is a man who is a hedge fund manager. He's got a net worth of about $21 billion. He's highly ranked among the wealthiest hedge fund managers. Now, he is a critic of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. He's described it as a jihadist call that some people don't believe in the dollar. And he was the man as well who bailed out some of the hedge funds who were shorting GameStop back in January. And some have also claimed that he or his company were involved in the restrictions that Robinhood placed on GameStop's stock to stop people from trading it too excessively. So he's the person who ended up winning this rare copy of the US Constitution. He's going to loan it to a free museum. He's a veteran art buyer. What do you think of this, Molly Jane? Well, he seems like a swell guy, based on what you just said. <laughs> well, I'd love to get a beer with him. Um, <laughs> I So, you know, last week I was very enthusiastic about Constitution Dow. And I was very confident they would win it. And I do think that I overlooked one thing, which is that because the blockchain is transparent, any other bidders that wanted to know what they would need to top could just check out the blockchain, check out the Constitution DAO's wallet and make sure they had just an, a little bit more in advance. Yeah. Yeah. Which which normally you can't do in an auction. It's not like you could peek into someone's bank account and go, oh, I bet they're only going to bid $10 million. Even if you know their net worth, you don't have that, you know, upper limit. And that's what happens when you when you do this blockchain bidding. And I think that moving forward with blockchain bidding, maybe I, I know I'm just kind of spitballing here, but maybe you shouldn't have the your blockchain wallet associated with who you are, you know, maybe somehow that should be kept separate. Otherwise, you know, people are going to outbidding you i take your point i mean in this particular case it doesn't help that the amount of money that they'd raised was transparent but given the fact he's a multi-multi-billionaire it didn't really make a difference anyway did it if they raised a hundred million dollars and nobody knew how much they'd raised he could still have won oh definitely i'm just saying in the future you know mm. maybe for something smaller that's not worth millions of dollars and yeah as important as the u.s constitution that's yeah. uh that's my two cents. That's my 43 million cents. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'd be 4.3 billion cents, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> it's just 100 cents in a dollar. <laughs> You're Quick right. Quick maths. Okay. You're right. I'm on Very it. I'm on it like Very a car bonnet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but obviously, the next stage of the story is the fact that Constitution Dow were now like, okay, we've lost. What now? And so they started to offer refunds to the 17,000 donors who took part. The average donation was $206. Um, and I was pretty taken, Molly Jane, by a story written by Motherboard. And they, some of their journalists had attempted to donate to the project with $200 in ETH. They say that they ended up losing $90 as a result of gas fees. And now that the refunds are being issued, there's going to be even more gas fees. Um, and there were some crazy records on the blockchain. Um, their article said that somebody ended up paying $18 in order to receive a $0 refund. And another donor who attempted to get $76 back only ended up getting $2 back once the fees were taken into account. Well, that's just ridiculous. Mm. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I I don't blame the the organizers of the DAO for, for bowing out. You know, it is called Constitution DAO. They had one purpose. When it didn't work, they're refunding their money. But I guess I do, if I'd been a donor, I would have wished maybe they could have, you know, had a consensus to bid on something else. Mm. Uh, because I don't think $200 is... $200 is that amount of money where... It's not so much that they've invested, but it's something you don't want to just lose. Yeah. You know, 20 mm. bucks, you could just lose, write it off. But 200 bucks, I don't know. I kind of would have wanted that going somewhere besides yeah. just gas fees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is, I mean, if you look at the Discord for Constitution Dow, it was, you know, it's been fairly chaotic. Some people have accused it of being a scam or a rug pull. Overall, this wasn't really a good advert for DAOs, was it? Even though Constitution DAO have been putting a brave face on it, saying they've introduced DAOs and Web3 to the masses. Um, it's not really gone to plan, has it? I disagree a little bit. I disagree with that. I think that it they raised so much money very quickly, which is an accomplishment right, from so many people. I think that they got DAOs spoken about in the mainstream media in a way that educated a lot of people. And I think that they have shown problem points in this sort of model without being bad actors. You know, Squid Token showed the world that meme coins can be really nasty. What Constitution DAO did is it, it highlighted some problems with, with the blockchain they chose. So... Yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, I, I I think you need to separate these two those two things because, yes, the money they raised is impressive, but the way the DAO was run was probably not that impressive. Probably not. Probably mm. not. And now... But they're not a rug pull. They're not a rug pull. They're not a rug pull. But at the same time, I mean, that's going to be little comfort to people who are getting a tiny amount of their crypto back. Well, I, I know the next story you're going to talk about, so I feel a lot more sadder about this next story than I do about the people that didn't get their $200 back. Well, hang on a minute, because we're not done with Constitution Dow yet. <laughs> oh, then, then this is a good teaser. Because <laughs> the last bit, which is also sad, depending on your perspective as well, is that now Constitution Dow has confirmed 
they are shutting down. They had initially said that they are going they were going to look at some other projects that potentially the money could go towards. But the team have now said that building and maintaining an ongoing project isn't something that as a core team they're able to support given the technical and administrative requirements of doing it properly. I don't blame them. Like I said, I don't blame them. They signed up to do one thing. They did it. They did not cheat anyone. And now they're going to go back to their day jobs. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's a good time to be an ETH miner right now. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, and now, as, 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 uh, as you say, some sad news we've got to bring you. Do you want to break the news, Molly Jane? I mean, this was this was kind of the worst part of my morning so far. So it is with a heavy heart that I will tell you, our listeners, that Mr. Gox, the crypto trading hamster, has passed away in his sleep. He did not suffer. He was not ill. As the, the owners of the Mr. Gox Twitter wrote, the situation is hard to grasp. You will be missed and your memory will live forever on the blockchain. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm laughing because if my hamster dies, I'll be devastated. It's to it's hide really your sad. tears. You're laughing to hide your tears. <laughs> it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. Um, but yeah, it's Mr. Cox, he'd become, he'd become a nightly fixture on Twitch. And if you remember, we have talked about him before. How it worked is he had a decision wheel where he'd run. And then that would decide which cryptocurrency he was going to trade. And then he'd run through one of two tunnels, one for buy, one for sell. And um, he had an impressive career. He'd earned 98 euros over the course of his career. He was you have to stop to... laughing. <laughs> he was up 20%. I wish you were crying. You should be crying instead. I, I know. I mean, honestly, when this news came in this morning, I was, I was really, I was really upset about it because I have a vested interest in this, <laughs> given how I have a hamster. But as they mm-hmm. said, um, you know, he, he brought joy to people all across the globe. Reminded us not to take life too seriously. He shed light into dark moments. I can't. I can't deal with this. Let me read this, okay? I'm going to read this. Because you're doing a bad job. Sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> Mr. Gox has brought joy to people all across the globe and reminded us not to take life too seriously. Like you're clearly not right now. Uh, <laughs> he shed light into dark moments of pandemic, inflation, and many kinds of trouble. Yeah, we're just going to have to see now whether or not the, the project continues. But, um, you know, a number of the, his followers said, you know, I copy traded you. I couldn't be happy with your brilliant course. Another says resting gains. And it was just, it was a really nice, fun, accessible way of getting people to be interested in the crypto markets. And it was just hilarious how the hamster managed to, you know, outperform some of the world's biggest stock indices. And even <laughs> it was just absolutely amazing. I'm sorry I laughed. I'm, I'm sorry to the owners of Mr. Gox. It is sad. So... What does it say about crypto in general if a hamster can do better than probably a lot of people? Is it just, is it that random, Connor? Is it just really that random? That's, that's a really probably. good question. It's probably that random. I think it's that random. <laughs> that's what I think. Doesn't it depend on what type, 
what you know where we are in the market because I think if you're in the middle of a bull run, you could literally and you had like a dartboard full of different altcoins and you just threw a dart and plundered your money into that, you'd probably do okay. You know, it's it's harder when the markets are quiet or if it's in a bear market. That's when that's when Mr. Gox would have been put through his paces, I think. A very sad time. And I, I am genuinely, genuinely sad. And I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry to laughing for uh, Mr. Gox's owners. Um, I, I love hamsters. My hamster is the joy of my life. And I will be absolutely beside myself. I'm far from laughing uh, if, if he goes. Are you at all interested in putting forth Bagel the hamster as the internet's next crypto trading hamster? Or is it too soon? Well, I, I think we should have a respectful pause and then I'll ask Bagel whether or not he's interested. If you remember the last time we talked, he was into trading lithium. Um, he's now <laughs> he, he is he's now moved on though because he's currently exploring opportunities in biotech stocks. So um, it might just take a bit of time and a bit of training to get him into the crypto markets. I guess Bagel's got to do what Bagel's got to do. Yeah, but I, um, you know, I think that he, we do need a hamster to be on the crypto beat. And I think Bagel, with his experience in trading, would be an ideal candidate for that. I'd vote for Bagel. i vote for Bagel too. <laughs> oh, well... <laughs> Molly Jane, um, a pleasure to talk to you this week. And um, I look forward to hopefully covering some cheerier news next week. One where um, fairy friends are alive and well. Okay. (laughs) Coin Market Recap. My guest this week is Isaiah Jackson. He's the co-founder of KRBE Digital Assets Group, hosts The Gentleman of Crypto on YouTube, and is the author of Bitcoin and Black America. A very busy man indeed. Isaiah, very nice to talk to you. Oh yeah, glad to speak with you as well. Glad to be here, man. So Bitcoin's been struggling to find its feet in recent weeks. How are you feeling about the markets right now? Oh, I feel great. As long as uh, the next block comes every 10 minutes, uh, I feel great. <laughs> the technology's working. <laughs> uh, we have a uh, major upgrade with Taproot. Uh, we've had uh, Bitcoin City be created with El Salvador. The mm-hmm. price doesn't really matter right now. And it's actually encouraging that the price is decreasing while we're increasing in innovation. Uh, because again, price always follows value and uh, the price has not reach the value that I think Bitcoin will be at. So I'm not too worried uh, about short-term prices. Um, and of course, I just want to talk now about your book. You you believe America's banking system has been and is racist. Why is that? Uh, yeah, so they have been in the past. And because of those racial um, rules that they've put into place, uh, it basically created a socioeconomic order where it's more rules to push down the lower class. Uh, mm-hmm. However, in the black community, we have plenty of evidence uh, where they had to either settle out of court or had lawsuits uh, where people uh, showed racial discrimination, um, higher rates uh, for ho- home uh, for homes, also mm-hmm. seeing redlining, uh, seeing loans uh, not given for people, even if they have the same exact qualifications, or if they're given those loans, those interest rates are higher for no other reason than being black or brown. So we've seen uh, banks pay hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars for manipulation, as well as uh, for some of the racial practices that they've had. So absolutely, I believe the black community does not owe them anything. And a good alternative is Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market. 
Mm -hmm. Can you just explain to us a little bit more about what redlining is? Yes. So uh, there was a time where uh, the incentive for white residents was that if a black person moved in their neighborhood, the property uh, value goes down. So that incentivized keeping black people out of certain neighborhoods and banks drew literal red lines around areas where black people could not live. These zip codes usually were uh, in the uh, suburbs. And what happened is if you go to most inner cities in any place in America, that's where a lot of black people are because mm -hmm. they were forced to those areas. And again, property value is is almost impossible to increase in those areas uh, when there's no help from the uh, banks as far as loans for businesses, education. Uh, or for homes. So uh, that practice uh, went on for years. And unfortunately, it kicked off a domino effect where we see how neighborhoods were sort of segregated at some point. And mm -hmm. then now it's it's getting a little better, but the damage was already done. Yeah, I mean, it's an appalling practice and you can see how it's had a lasting impact as well. So how can right. Bitcoin help black communities? Yes, uh, in a number of ways. Uh, for the first, the first major thing is uh, Bitcoin allows you to hold your wealth without someone being able to take it away from you. Mm -hmm. um, and for the first time in American history, we can do that. Uh, we've built communities, the black community, uh, like Black Wall Street and like great cities today where black people are. But our wealth has been systematically taken away through inflation, taxation, and then, of course, some of the banking practices. So Bitcoin gives the ability for us to hold our own wealth. It gives us the ability to own an asset uh, that is very valuable and that we can use for the future. It also gives us the opportunity to get jobs in a new space that usually pay a premium for income. So that increases the wages in the black community if we can take advantage of this and move it to the market. And I think Bitcoin uh, shows promise that I haven't seen in any other technology before. Mm -hmm. And tell us more about your book, Bitcoin and Black America. What, what are the main things you discuss in it? What's the content of the book? Oh, yeah. So uh, the first part of the book, I discuss my personal story how I started in Bitcoin in 2013, how I got introduced to it. And then I discuss how uh, education is important for the Bitcoin community uh, and the black community, how the synergy between uh, the black community and Bitcoin can form with good education. I go into college groups, uh, summer camps for kids, uh, different solutions where we can actually educate people in different ways. Uh, I also discuss the banks, uh, like we discussed before, uh, some of the egregious practices that they've engaged in. I uh, give uh, plenty of solutions for different countries as well, where black people may have family that they send remittances to, which is also a great practice for Bitcoin as well. And I basically define the reason why we should use Bitcoin uh, because of the historical things. And it, it gives us leverage. Uh, politically speaking, there's a lot of things that the black community asks for, but we don't really have the leverage to get it, uh, which is why we're overlooked a lot. And uh, that comes when you can say to yourself, hey, we can use Bitcoin as a peaceful protest. We can actually move our funds out of this system into Bitcoin. And that would actually give us more leverage when we discuss politics in this country and how we can get things done. So I think all of that is positive for the black community. And there's no barrier to entry. We have equal uh, opportunity, not necessarily equal outcomes because some will do more than others. But you have the opportunity now. Nobody's stopping you. Mm -hmm. And yes, like you say, Bitcoin doesn't have those barriers to entry like retail banks. Right. I understand, of course, the value of having Bitcoin as something you save for the future. But on a day to day basis, isn't its volatility something of a disadvantage? To an extent, yes. In America and some of the, the first world countries, we have relatively stable currencies, uh, even though long term they are volatile. We have relatively stable currencies. So the best use case is not to spend Bitcoin in the U.S., 
But I would argue that in other countries like Venezuela, Nigeria, India, Turkey, Greece, places that have seen hyperinflation, Bitcoin's volatility uh, is not a factor. The hyperinflation is worse uh, than the volatility of Bitcoin. So they would rather use that as a medium of exchange. And if we use the Lindy effect, the Lindy curve, I should say, we are at about the store value stage and the medium of exchange era will come as more liquidity enters the market and we have less volatility volatility and the value of Bitcoin increases, then you'll see people spending Satoshis at a certain point. So we're not there yet exactly, but I did pay for my flight in my hotel with Bitcoin. So it is possible. <laughs> That's fantastic. So are <laughs> yes. we at the stage then, um, Isaiah, where crypto markets are offering the financial services that black people may now or may have struggled to access in the traditional financial world? Yes. And I think we have the evidence for that. Uh-huh. We've seen what has happened before. And now there was a recent poll that came out that says that uh, black people are more likely to be in the crypto market than any other demographic in America. Uh, mm-hmm. We understand uh, discrimination and not trusting the people who are in power who are uh, printing the money. Uh, so I think it is working uh, as far as my message and others. And I think that black people are starting to listen to that and go for it. So absolutely. I think uh, this is something that we can use DeFi NFTs, uh, a lot of the different uh, innovations that come with Bitcoin, we can enter those markets as well. And again, with no barrier to entry, with uh, uh, black people free to do what they want, we're just fine. That's all I'm asking for. I don't want anything special given to us. I just want the opportunity to do something that has no barrier to entry, which is this market. Uh-huh. And it was interesting to hear you there talk about demographics. And of course, I imagine that there's all sorts of research out there. And I was doing some research ahead of this interview with you. And I was looking at a CNBC survey in August, and they were looking at the the demographics of people who own cryptocurrencies. And it tended to paint a picture of the typical investor being a young white man. Uh, they said just 4% of crypto investors are black women, for example. So is there a situation where black people at the moment seem to be reluctant to be buying Bitcoin? And what needs to be done to get the message across to people? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not sure if that was an old poll or old show, but the most mm. recent poll shows that African-Americans are actually uh, twice as likely to buy crypto than white Americans and a little bit more than Latinos and Asians. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, that is actually flipped. And that's what I'm talking about, is that right. given the opportunity... Black people will take it. And we've shown that literally uh-huh. when I first started in 2013, I was the only black person I would see at conferences and meetups. They just didn't know or didn't uh, care about it. And at this point now uh, we have a huge influx of people, uh, of black people in the market. I mm-hmm. mean, even our, our group, Black Bitcoin Billionaires, we have 150,000 people. The biggest 150,000. That's astounding. Yes. The biggest Bitcoin group on Clubhouse right now, uh-huh. uh, which is, you know, a voice app where we teach people and we have uh, dozens of moderators. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's happening. It's just not mainstream, so to say, because the stereotypical view of a Bitcoiner is a young white male. But that's been quickly changing uh, as we broaden and become more uh, mainstream. And of course, there have been statistics in the past that have suggested that black people are more likely to be unbanked or underbanked in America than other other groups. So is it harder for people, uh, whether they're black or white or Hispanic, who rely solely on cash to get involved in Bitcoin? Um, It seems that way, uh, simply because a lot of people think you have to have technical prowess and know all of the ins and outs. But Mm. we have a lot of onboarding that allows you to do it without a bank. Uh, For example, we have Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, We have, in America, Coinstar, 
where you can actually take spare change and turn it into Bitcoin. Uh, you have the ability to earn Bitcoin, buying things you already buy with Lolly, with Foldapp. Uh, you have the ability to take your money that you save, put it in Bitcoin and hold it long term. Um, but again, all of these things uh, were a process. And for people who do not use banks, people who are cash heavy, like in the Latino community, they have the ability to take that cash and turn it into either a stable coin or into a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. So yes, I think the barrier to entry is a lot lower. And mm. it's really just education. Once people who are unbanked learn about it, which I've taught plenty, um, they realize that their dollars are losing value due to inflation and that they have to have it in an asset that beats that inflation year over year in order to keep their purchasing power. So once they understand that, uh, it'll be pretty easy. We have a problem. Here's a solution. And once people understand that, uh, we'll be fine. I think people in the black community are starting to get it now. Mm -hmm. And yes, you mentioned Bitcoin ATMs. And I was talking a couple of weeks ago about Coinstar because I think that they started a trial in 200 Walmart stores to offer Bitcoin right. there. But isn't the downside there that the fees can be really punishing. Do you think that we need to have more solutions that make it easy for people who are using cash to convert their cash into Bitcoin more cheaply? Oh, yeah. So one thing is if people have cash and they want to do it cheaply, peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, ATMs, Coinstar, anything where you have cash, there's always going to be a premium. Um, so that's unfortunate. So it is a little bit higher, but that will come down again as more liquidity enters the market. And then when you use exchanges, which use maybe the traditional checking and savings accounts, which they may not have, they impose fees that are lower. But if they don't have access to it, the best they can do is peer to peer, I would say, uh, trying to get the best rate. So we should work to lower those those costs. But that's what the market decides, because if you have cash, that's actually more in demand. So uh, they, they they know that if you want to use cash, they can raise those rates based on the market we have now. Mm -hmm. And your story, Isaiah, is amazing, if you don't mind my saying so. Um, and you. as you said before, you mentioned that you got into Bitcoin in 2013. Can you tell us about yes. that five-year plan that you wrote and how your life has changed oh, yeah. over the past few years? Right. Uh, so I wrote that plan in 2015. And it came about uh, because I was at a pretty low point working a job I didn't like, uh, overweight, didn't really have anything going for me, no business plans, no big investments. I had Bitcoin at the time, but I was just learning. Uh -huh. um, so I wrote a five-year plan to not only start a business in the industry, but to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible um, so that I could have that as an asset, um, as well as be able to write a book. Uh, I've always wanted to write a book, but I put that in the plan as well. Um, and now I'm at book number two. <laughs> yes. but, uh, and also to to bring in multiple streams of income so that I can make six to seven figures a year, uh, which is happening now. And of course, those goals, they were not easy, but because I wrote them down and were able to visually uh, try them every day, I feel like I'm one of the hardest working people in the industry. Um, even to this day, I still work 10 to 12 hours because I love it. But uh -huh. achieving those goals has been great because now I can teach others to do the same. And in this industry, it's really all about education. So just glad to have the success I've had and be able to teach others as well. And well-deserved as well. Uh, do you have uh, any um, tips for people listening to this podcast who might be considering buying Bitcoin or maybe those who do own Bitcoin, but who might be nervous about how it's been performing at the moment? <laughs> well, I would tell anybody that's nervous, uh, you need to have a uh, lower time preference so that you think long term, right? It should not be day to day, week to week. Um, you know, I had a beautiful head of hair. Uh, and now I'm bald, basically from watching charts. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm graying. To... <laughs> exactly. Trying to jump <laughs> in, back and forth. So just remember this. If you are thinking or if you're leery about it, uh, time in the market is more important than timing the market. Do not mm-hmm. think you're going to jump in at the perfect time and jump out. At this. That's that's nonsense. Nobody ever does. Uh, time in the market. Uh, statistically speaking, anybody that buys Bitcoin and holds it for more than three years is in profit in USD or fiat terms. So um, anybody that's scared right now, that's better. And then for people who do have it, the best solution for you is dollar cost averaging, which has been proven to work as well. It's the least stressful. It's the only strategy that's been proven to work no matter what. And there's way less taxes associated with it. Uh, I would encourage anybody that's stacking Bitcoin to hold it because there is no tax in, in, uh, taxation until you convert it back. And for anybody who's jumping into other cryptos and flipping them in and out, remember that each single each transaction is a taxable event. So a lot more stress there uh, versus if you're buying Bitcoin, dollar cost average, uh, stack it, buy daily, buy weekly, and wait and figure out solutions for how you can use it uh, for later. Yeah, and maybe just try and avoid looking at the charts too much. Yeah, <laughs> stop looking at charts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you want to look at a chart, zoom out. Look at the chart from when we went from zero all the way up to a $55,000 coin, a trillion dollar coin, uh, market cap. Trust me, it's, it's going. the market cap is going to increase. You just got to ignore all of the noise in between. Yeah. Less noise, more signal. Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us. And best of luck. I mean, you've had incredible success so far. It's great to see and look forward to seeing more. Likewise. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And that's it for this week's Coin Market Recap. I'm Connor Sefton, and thank you so much for listening. And just a reminder that this show does not offer financial advice. Please do follow our podcast, and don't forget that we also have a daily newsletter that delivers all of the top stories to your inbox. You can head to coinmarketcap.com forward slash Alexandria2 for easy to understand features on how crypto works. And if you've got any feedback or questions about what we've discussed on the show, our email is podcast at coinmarketcap.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye bye.